A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to Paris, to Tennis Podcast Towers Paris, and to day two of Roland Garros 2023. It might only be day two of this year's French Open, but I have already eaten three galettes on this trip. <laughs> it's quite possibly what I've missed most about Paris. Galettes on tap. Yeah, I think that's quite productive, Catherine. I think you should be very proud. Thank you very much. Each one has been a different flavour. I'm working my, my way through the whole menu of, you know... Galette Parisienne or whatever it is, wherever it is that we're ordering galettes from. I should I should have got their name right because then they might give us free galettes. But but we've given them the promo anyway. So didn't now work with bother. Costa Coffee for all those years, did it? <laughs> no. It has, though, worked with Wilson. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've been using their stuff anyway. We have. Matt describes Wilson as his sponsor because... He wears so much freebie Wilson gear. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> well, you, you wear the one hoodie all the time. Semi-ironically. Mm. It is a nice hoodie, to be fair. He's one step away from Felix Auger Eliasim having his own logo. Yes. Mm. In the Wilson range. I must say, Felix Auger Eliasim, this is a tangent, I think has one of the coolest signatures. Because he does, he does sort of half an F. And then half an A and half an A and then puts he, one line through it all. He's got good initials to work with, right. I would say. Why yeah. is his logo not that? Look, there's more on Felix Auger Eliasim <laughs> coming up later. What I was trying to get on to, Matt. Sorry. I would, I would love excellent... to see Matt take it up with could, Felix. Could you, could you both stop? <laughs> Missed my chance because he's out. David, David <laughs> I'm trying to promote our sponsors. Oh, yeah, go on. <laughs> This edition right. of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association, dun dun dun, with Wilson. Hey, provider my of the, sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> provider of the official Roland Garros tennis ball. And Wilson has given us, well, has given Matt a lovely hoodie, <laughs> and has given us two fantastic packs of Roland Garros limited edition products to give away to two Tennis Podcast listeners. The prize packages will include one Roland Garros Racket bag. Snazzy. One Roland Garros edition racket. Either a Blade 98 or a Clash 100. Presumably to put in your racket bag. Yeah, and apparently you can get nine rackets in your racket bag. So, you know, 
Hopefully you've got a few others. <laughs> my, I'm no longer allowed to make fun of, you know, club players with those enormous professional sized racket bags because no. I think two members of my immediate family are, are those people. <laughs> Definitely at least one. There's no need to name names. Uh, one pack of Luxilon Roland Garros string. My dad's definitely entering this competition. Uh, two cans of Roland Garros clay court balls. So to be in with the chance of winning this amazing pack of Wilson gear, click the link in our show notes or check the details in our next tennis podcast newsletter. Now, on with the meat of the show, which is, of course, the tennis Where to begin today? It's actually quite difficult to know where to begin. I've decided to start with the fact that we had our first sort of mega stars in action today at Roland Garros. We had wins for both Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz, which means we are now just four rounds away from Djokovic (laughs) Alcaraz. Too early to start counting? You sound like me when I was about seven and we were going on a long distance car drive to a holiday destination and I was trying to work out how are we are we near a home or we're nearer there so when we get into round what four yeah the answer at the moment to are we nearly there yet is no no (laughs) No. we're closer than we were and there's only four to go they both won fairly comfortably today we'll get on to Novak Djokovic in a minute because there is A lot to talk about with him. Uh, Just on Carlos Alcaraz first, he was six love, two love in 35 minutes. It took him 35 minutes before he lost a game. His opponent, the Italian Cobolli, once he won a game, he settled in and it got quite fun then. The problem is it also got quite fun for Carlos Alcaraz and it was just sort of a fun time, but quite an exhibition-y fun time for Carlos Alcaraz who was definitely in in showman mode out on Longland. Matt you got there just for the the latter stages of this I think yeah the last five points <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've done a real service for the podcast and seen five points of that match live uh, but I sort of experienced this match through crowd noises because I think I have figured out that there's a particular sound that a that a stadium makes when Carlos Alcaraz has hit one of his incredible shots. You know, I was, I was wandering around the grounds, there was lots going on. And suddenly, you know, you'd hear a big noise from Long Glen and I would say to myself, oh, that's a Carlos Alcaraz hot shot moment. And then two minutes later, it would appear on Twitter and I was like, oh yeah, that was cool. And then it would happen again, it would happen again. It just seemed to be happening all the time. Uh, there was one particularly incredible shot around the net post, which he hit. At full stretch, at full speed as well. He, he managed to get real pace on this shot round the net. It was absolutely incredible. The crowd were loving him uh, and he was loving it. And yeah, it was a sort of serotonin boost, to be honest, because there was, there was a portion of the day where there were a lot of sad stories, a lot of injuries, a lot of struggles. We'll get on to all that. And Alcaraz just arrived on court at a really good time and just gave everyone a great, great show. Oh, you're so onto something with the crowd noise signature i love that idea no. i mean long Len is the best for crowd noise i mean obviously we've touched upon the crowd noise that you get within long Len, but it's also kind of so much more open than chatrier that the noise bleeds out mm. into the surroundings far more than chatrier possibly far more than any other mm. major court in grand slam 
tennis, when there's something big and loud happening on that court, it envelops more than half of the site of Roland Garros. Because it's down the other end as well. There's, I love that feeling of being in the main building when you hear it in the distance. <laughs> and it's still loud, but it's over there. And you just want to go and run over and have a look. Yeah. Oh, it was quite cool, I thought, that they put him on Longland for his first match. I mean, I doubt he'll play out there very much. Mm. but Agreed. And he seemed to like it as well. Why wouldn't you? Cracking court. Uh, it was a Chatrier billing for Novak Djokovic today in his opener um he cruised for for a while against Kovacevic 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 that's what I meant that's yep. that is what I've written I just read it wrong Alexander Alexander Kovacevic uh American but with Serbian heritage um and he pretty much was cruising until it came to serving out the match when there was just a bit of a wobble and suddenly I'm I'm on my laptop doing other things and Matt looks up and in confusion and goes, how on, is Djokovic about to lose a set here? I mean, he didn't. It was straight sets, but there was, you know. Well, it went from 5-3 to 5-6, didn't it? I mean, we, we actually came off air on BBC Radio to join the cricket and I, I linked to the cricket by saying, well, Novak Djokovic is wrapping this up. <laughs> it was 5-3 and I got downstairs and lo and behold, he wasn't wrapping it up. But uh, he duly did in the end. He um, Things I've learned about uh, Alexander Kovacevic today, other than how to correctly read his name, are that he has a single-handed backhand. Yes. Mm. Anyway. It's the- a reminder of what Novak Djokovic does to most single-handed backhands, yeah, I would it- say. Yes. It has to be a hell of a single-handed backhand. Yeah, it, it looked <laughs> you know. really style of a substance, didn't it? You, uh, Well, I was looking at it going, why would you have a single-hander? I mean, you know, it is nice to look at, but you're mm. right. I mean, and he is up against the ultimate in just dismantling that stroke. Been doing it to Roger Federer for years, and there was really only Stan Wawrinka and Dominic Team probably at their very best on select days that were able to hurt Djokovic with with a backhand to backhand rally so yes that that was notable yeah so true now look the the real drama of this match again just as with yesterday drama doesn't quite feel the right word because it makes it sound so poppery but the real kind of attention grabbing stuff here happened immediately after the match because what Djokovic wrote on the camera you know the the, the match winners are handed a felt-tip pen. They write on the special screen of the camera and then it's turned around for everyone to read. Well, he wrote in Serbian, so it took a while for everyone to get this translated and figure out what he what he wrote other than for, for Serbian viewers, of course. But what it turns out that he wrote on the camera was Kosovo is the heart of Serbia. Stop violence. Um, now, obviously, there was a keenness to, to ask him about this in the press conference. The press conference was curtailed after just three English questions, none of which covered what he wrote on the camera. But he did address the issue in his press conference with Serbian media that followed the English section. And those quotes have been uh, translated into English by uh, a number of outlets, including Sasha Osmo, the prominent Serbian journalist. And these are the translated quotes from Djokovic. He said, the topic is very sensitive As a Serb, everything that's happening in Kosovo hurts me a lot. This is the least I could have done. I feel the responsibility as a public figure, doesn't matter in which field, to give support, especially as a son of a man born in Kosovo. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I heard there have been many objections on social media whether I will be punished. I'm not holding back. I would do it again. My stance is clear. I'm against wars, violence and any kind of conflict, as I've always stated publicly. I empathise with all people, but the situation with Kosovo is a precedent in international law. I'm very sorry for the situation that we're in. Kosovo is our hearthstone, our stronghold, our most important monasteries are there. Now, Djokovic had expressed similar sentiments to these to an Italian journalist in Rome. And Ben Rothenberg, the American journalist, did unearth a video of Djokovic uh, recording a message of support back in 2008 for a Kosovo is Serbia rally. Now, tensions have been increasing recently in the region that they're at their highest level since 2008. There's still a NATO military presence in the region and there were violent clashes this weekend. And sorry to be taking another foray into politics here. it's, It's not necessarily what any of us want to be talking about, but it is important that we explain, I think, the reason why this statement is potentially inflammatory and, you know, I think will lead to to significant discussion around what Djokovic has done. There have been tensions and conflict in the Kosovo region going back all the way to the Middle Ages. But in terms of recent history, war broke out in the region in 1998 and 99 between ethnic Albanians and ethnic Serbs. The war was prompted by Kosovo, which is 90% ethnic Albanian, being brought under Serbian rule by Slobodan Milosevic, a move that was widely condemned by the international community. NATO intervened in 1999 and eventually Kosovo were able to declare independence nearly a decade later with the help of UN negotiations. That was in 2008 that they did that. A hundred countries internationally have recognised Kosovo's independence, including all of the G7 nations, which of course includes France and most sports international governing bodies, including the ITF. Serbia, however, have never formally recognised Kosovan independence. And for that reason, as well, NATO troops in the region have always remained. Now, athletes have been banned in the past for expressing the kind of sentiment that Djokovic did today. There is no suggestion yet that that will happen here. And Djokovic says no one from the tournament has approached him over what he wrote, but it just illustrates how contentious a political issue this is and why there is significant upset and reaction to Djokovic's gesture, I think. And just a a final note on this, Gazeta Blick Sport have reported that the president of the Kosovan Tennis Federation has responded to this by saying, I strongly condemn this gesture. We will stand strong in defence of the values and dignity of our country. And that's that, folks. I don't think that'll be the end of that. I think it's something that will come up again uh, when Djokovic next plays. And over the course of the next two days, it'll be talked about before he plays. Um, Difficult for us to weigh in on other than to say, I think Djokovic knew what he was doing with this. And the reaction probably doesn't surprise him. I think he, yeah. Knew what he was doing. Yeah, he he decided to take this course of action. I mean, nobody's telling him to to write that on on the camera or or asking him about it in order to comment until he did that. So he was obviously prepared 
to do so, to talk about it as well, albeit, as you say, there were only three questions uh, allowed in the press conference before he was taken away. And it, and it all happened so quickly in the press conference that I think a lot of people didn't even, hadn't even worked out the translation or anything like that before he got in there. Um, but obviously the Serbian journalists were across it. So good for them that they got on to that story. Um, but he's still going to have to ask answer questions about this in his next press conference. Because, yes, it'll be in a couple of days' time, but the, the English-speaking media, the French journalists, we're all going to want to know a little bit more about this. And um, who knows, maybe he'll write something else in his next one. And, uh, and as you say, this is incredibly sensitive stuff. And we also want to know whether the authorities are going to take any action over it. Because as you say, there is, there is a rule book that pro- prohibits this kind of thing. So let's see if they are actually prepared to th- sort of raise those rules. Yeah, we'll see. And we will keep you posted. Now, to, to, try and, to try and lighten the mood, guys, I've entitled the next section of the podcast Retro Day. I like that. Yeah. Nice. That right, well, go well, with well me put. here, guys. It felt like a bit of a throwback day. And Dominic team didn't win. He would have completed my set. There was, there was a point in the agenda where I had Dominic Team's name in this section, but he's had to he's be moved. He's been slotted in he's somewhere else. He's been slotted in somewhere else and more of that later. He played quite a large part of your day, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He did. Um, but no, this section is retro day, and I'm referring to wins for Sloane Stevens over Karolina Pliskova, first match of the day on Chateau. I'm referring to a win for Stan Rinka in five sets, Diesel's back. Over Ramos Vinulas, and I'm referring to a straight set win over the extremely good clay quarter Martina Trevisan for Alina Svitolina. What a fun set of throwbacks this is. Yeah, and I love that. I love seeing players, particularly some of whom have either had a rough time form-wise or who are a bit older or who, in the case of Alina Svitolina, has been away from the sport for several months because of having a baby seeing them come out and do their thing and just loving it. That's what you see with all of these champions when they're trying to decide how long do I go on for. Now, I'm not saying these players are near retirement, but when you see the day that they've all had, you get it. You really understand that all that toil, that hard work, that frustration, that the rehab. I mean, we'll go on to talk about injuries later, and we've been chatting about them separately about how hard it must be for tennis players to deal with injuries and any athletes, the frustrations of it all. It's for days like today, for Alina Svitolina to be standing there on the court so happy and to play like that, to win 6-2, 6-2, and to play like she used to play. For Stan Wawrinka to just be milking it with the crowd, staying out there way longer than he needed to be in the centre of the court just because he's enjoying it. He doesn't need to be playing this game. He's got tens of millions. He's been through knee surgeries galore. And yet he just wants to do it for as long as he can. I, I loved it today. He had a sort of bit, didn't he, on court 14, Stan Wawrinka after he'd won that match. He he would have stayed out there all evening if they didn't have another match to follow on there. He was, yeah, he was like a children's entertainer. <laughs> 
Yeah, he was playing uh, Game Set and Catch, as it would be called in Indian Wells. <laughs> Where were you, man? I know. Didn't pick you out. <laughs> With the Court 14 crowd. Mm. And he was sort of conducting them, wasn't he? He was, he was showing each side of the stadium a ball and imploring the other side of the stadium to cheer a bit louder to make it so that they deserved the ball. It was, I, I felt it was a sort of slightly dorky Federer energy that he sort of brought to the crowd and I I loved it. I, I it was just clearly having having the time of his life. As as David said, he just loved being out there. I mean it looked like it looked like Diesel was having an off day, didn't it? Because he, he seemed to be fading. He was he was two sets up and suddenly he's He was saving it, Matt. Well I think he was probably trying to win in three sets. And then when he didn't, I think he was saving himself for the fifth because he, he played a lot better in that final set than he had done in the fourth. And uh, it took him a couple of goes to serve it out. Albert Ramos Vinales, as Carlos Alcaraz found out last year at the French Open, very difficult man to beat over five sets on clay when he's sort of dogged and determined. But yeah, Stan hit through him and it was... It was pretty uplifting to see that, actually. Yeah, and I, f- I found Sloane Stephens' win first up in the day extremely uplifting as well. She's another one that, you know, I think it's okay to say that quite often she hasn't looked like she's had an enormous amount of appetite for the sport. I think it waxes and wanes. You know, she's not 100% dialed in 100% of the time. You know, a lot of the time she's not making a play for my intensity list, put it that way. Um but she she went and played that one two five k event, didn't she, in San Malo, which I think signals a bit of signals a bit of intent from her. She won it, so those are matches and wins. She beat Elena Svitolina in the final, which is quick, well. quickly looking like a really big win, and she just looked thrilled and comfortable, and you know. With a bit of a twinkle in her eye, Sloane Stevens after that win, and this is like the first French Open since. 2018 that I haven't belligerently picked Sloane Stevens to do stuff just because of how good she is and how um, she makes you feel how, as yeah. an observer she's it, another one like Mukova just so smooth and she's another one I would say just getting back to the the noises that a player like that extracts from onlookers certainly in the media room when Sloane Stevens really plays well you just hear a lot of satisfied sounds of purring, yeah, mm. of people thinking, "Oh, wow, look at that!" You know, similar to to the way on, on the men's side, Federer for all those years gets a crowd reaction that's just one of enjoyment. It's not one of, uh, it's not quite the gasps you get of electricity with Alcaraz. Those sounds you get this satisfied sound of of, of enjoyment, and and yeah, I mean, we haven't seen enough of Sloane Stevens over the years playing at her best because it is one of the best sights in the sport. It would be great to get another look at it, though, wouldn't it? I mean, David has gone quite big on Stevens this tournament. so easily reeled in. I I put her in the quarters, I think. Mm, Which Um, I think is pretty bold, really, considering... Given she got Pliskova first round, which is, uh, you know, we were saying that yesterday that she'd reached the last two Grand Slam quarterfinals and and I think that that was right on a knife edge as a first round match here um my view was if she wins it then that then she must be on she must Mm -hmm. be playing well and then who knows and 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 it does sound to me as you said like she's been 
targeting the French Open, mm. going to play at a lower level, get some matches. She's played, played 14 matches on clay coming into the French Open this year. And she said last year she just didn't have the reps. You know, she couldn't just rock up at Roland Garros and suddenly start playing well. She realised, you know, she's learned from last year, realised she needs actually to have some matches coming in and she's got those. She's got a good record against Pliskova, so tough draw, but she sort of, I think, felt quite confident in that matchup. And the two sets today sort of displayed the two sides of Stevens that you need, you know, purring in the first set, albeit against Pliskova, who wasn't playing very well. But in the second set, Pliskova really showed something and started fighting. And Stevens was right there with her to meet to meet her with that fight. So that was that was encouraging. Yeah, I love that win, and I am eyes emoji on Sloane Stevens big time, as I am with Alina Svitolina. Probably the story of the day, quite frankly, Svitolina. Um, straight set, straightforward against Martina Trevisan today, out on uh, the Simon Mathieu court. It was a a beautiful performance from a quite aggressive Alina Svitolina. It does look like she is come back with a bit of a vengeance to the sport, um, a slightly new approach. I wonder whether that's anything to do with her new coaching setup. Yeah, she's coached now by Raymond Slouter. Slouter? Slouter. Slouter, isn't it? Correct. Raymond Slouter. We've been through that about we, 10 we, years we, ago. We, well, he's back on the scene now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. She said it clicked with him immediately, but she said the big difference with him is that they got together before she actually, long before she returned to competition. So they had three months together on the practice court doing sort of laying the groundwork for her comeback. Um, Again, it's sort of talking about time away from the hamster wheel, which is so prized and so rare in tennis and what can be achieved if you're not just on the treadmill Mm. all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, that was one of my big takeaways from her press conference, the perspective that she has. I think a lot of life perspective and I'm I'm sure we'll come on to that but also perspective of what the tour is just having stepped back from it for a bit and you know she knew that she needed to step down to a lower level and and get reps in and and improve her game and I think you know she had time to establish that relationship with a coach rather than I think she said something like rather than just when you you know you're on that grind and suddenly you're into the next fire you know, mm. and it, it might just suddenly be a bad result and it makes you question everything with your coach. She's She's been out of that sort of environment and is able to sort of think decisions through a little bit more. And yeah, I'm sure maybe has adapted her game accordingly. It was it was brilliant to see a really aggressive Alina Svitolina. I, I loved it. Aggressive, motivated. She really seems motivated. She said she always planned to come back to tennis. She said she didn't want to ever put the pressure of time frames on herself but it it never entered her mind not to come back that was one of the things that I wanted to know from her and I feel guilty that it entered my mind um that she might not come back to the sport I think that's down to the fact that her results were dropping off before the pregnancy um I I, I don't know but I, I completely underestimated her and I feel silly for doing that. And I'm so glad that she's back. She said she feels physically as good, if not better, than pre-pregnancy. She's clearly, you know, set her mind to this. She says she has unfulfilled goals. And one of those goals, a new one, is 
bringing a small amount of joy to Ukrainians. She said that's an extra motivation. There was an incredibly impassioned speech from Alina Svitolina towards the end of the press conference. It's funny, I think a lot of people expected her to come into that room brimming with the joy that we saw on the court. You know, you're back, you're at Roland Garros, you've just put in a stunning performance against a great player in round one. You know, tell us all about how great it is. And she kind of had a sombre mood about it, didn't she? Yeah, there was a real steel about her. Um, I think, you know, maybe part of it, game face, you know, what you were saying there about just how motivated she is. I, I think round one isn't what she's aiming for here. She she wants more. But also, I do just get this sense that I think, you know, going back to our, our show on, on the Four Musketeers, there was a quote from Jean Barotra, when you've been through wars, it changes you. And I think Alina Svitolina has been inevitably changed by the war in Ukraine. Her 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 reasons for playing are different now. And, you know, she, she spoke wonderfully about the money that she donated from from winning Strasbourg to help children in Ukraine and how she's going to decide what to do with her Roland Garros prize money based on what the most urgent matter is at that time. She's She's just got different motivation. And I think, you know, winning tennis matches in some respects is less important than it used to be, but in some respects it's just as important, but just for different reasons. Um, and, yeah, I, I think also she had this perspective on... She was able to sort of, again, take a step back because she's not been through the tour, or on tour, while all the conversations have been happening about what to do with Russian players, what to do with Belarusian players. She just brought a different perspective to that argument I think and she was asked by Matt Futterman of the New York Times to just sort of sum up her feelings about how tennis has responded to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and she gave this speech about empty words being spoken in tennis and how much rubbish there is being spoken in in relation to the war and and she said that instead of all those words and it was it was kind of tough to know who she was pointing the finger at there I think could have been Russian and Belarusian players it could have been the way journalists are covering the sport it could even have been the way some other Ukrainian players have been picking up on aspects and she was saying all we need is to direct our attention to helping Ukrainians and giving them time giving them money and yeah I just thought it was a real grown-up in the room, you know, mm. coming to this huge issue in the world in tennis and, and bringing, bringing her perspective on it. It was, it was quite moving, actually, to be in the room. It was. It was a very poignant moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It brings us on to the the last section of the podcast, which I have titled the sad section. Oh, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. (laughs) Oh, well, shall I give you a brief reprieve, David? Okay. And tell you that this edition of the Tennis Podcast and all our editions throughout Rural and Garros is brought to you in association with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. Do you like New York? Oh, just a bit. <laughs> do you like rooftop bars? You yep. should be asking me this. I do. To give you yep. a very wholesome yep. answer. Um, uh, do, you, do, do you like tennis? Uh, very much. Well, so, I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> David, if you weren't already going to the US Open for your job, then boy, do I have the package for you. As well as the Grand Slams, On Location can arrange the most fantastic tickets and hospitality experiences via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours to the Laver Cup in Vancouver. Oh, yes, please. Did, I, did anyone in this room watch Race Across the World? Yes. Made me want to go to Canada. Not camping. <laughs> want to go to Canada. More, more the rooftop um, bar bit. Already committed to playing the Labour Cup between 22nd and 24th September. Nick Kyrgios, Francis Jaffo. And Taylor Fritz for defending champions Team World and Holger Rune, Stefano Sitspas and Andre Rublev for Team Europe. I forgot the Team World won the Labour Cup last year. Yeah. We have a 5% discount to offer all tennis podcast listeners. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast, click the Labour Cup discount section and enter the code VANCOUVER. V-A-N-C-O-U-V-E-R. You have until May 31st at 11.59pm Eastern Time to use your discount. That is not long, folks. So get in there quick. Check our show notes for terms and conditions. Of course, I didn't mention the the New York rooftop bar there, but they do also have deals involving New York and rooftop bars. That's right. There's a 5% discount for the US Open and the Labour Cup. The US Open one Like ones, a combined trip? No, they're separate. <laughs> separate US Open trips. 5% one is final slam code. And so you've only got the two days, so we might as well give them a mention as well. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you, David, for saving me. Um, right now, 
right then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right then. Right now, right do now. it, folks. It's a new uh, Chemical Brothers song, <laughs> uh, which brings us neatly to the sad section. I know how to sell a podcast, folks. Yeah. Glad you didn't mention that in the intro. <laughs> I mean, at least you're letting people know what they're in for. Exactly. Un- unlike sort of Hanya Yanagihara in A Little Life and calling it The Happy Years. Mm. Not The Happy they're Years. They're not happy at all. What happened in them? Oh, we just haven't got time. devastating events. Yeah, devastation. That, just... Impossible to describe devastation. You can tell that only two of us have read the book. Mm. Anyway, the sad section. I went to three extremely sad (laughs) press conferences today. Okay. Um, Similar in some ways, different in others. I think, I mean, there was a sort of running theme through them, which is... Well, actually, I think the running theme through them is how bloody difficult tennis is. Yeah. How tough this sport is. The press conferences I'm referring to and the matches, losses I'm referring to are Dominic Team, who almost came back from two sets to love down against Pedro Cachin, but came back, but not all the way back um, in all senses. Uh, lost out in five sets. Felix Auger-Lessim, who lost in straight sets to Fabio Fanini, and Jack Draper, who retired training by a set to Thomas Martin Echeverry. Um, and in Jack Draper's press conference, the theme was ceasing to trust his body. You know, this this young age, I think he's still only 21. He was... He's had so many retirements and withdrawals from tournaments. He said if it weren't for his team intervening courtside, he would have been prepared to underarm serve his way through that match. Such was his desperation not to have to retire from another yeah. match. Well, I was, co- I, was, Grand Slam match. I was covering that uh, for BBC Radio and he was 4-1 down. He lost seven of the first eight points of the match. He was 4-1 down. And I, and I, I hadn't really been playing that close attention at that point. Um, and then I saw he, he broke back for 4-3. And then they were coming to me for a report. And he spent an entire game underarm serving. Uh, I think and not he, in a fun way. No, no. He did three or four of them. Uh, the first one, I thought, oh, blimey, Jack Draper's done underarm serving. <laughs> hey, Catherine, Matt, you got to tune in. And then suddenly, why are they replaying it? Oh, no, they're not replaying it. He's done it again. And, the, and he was just putting this excessive underspin on the forehand, um, underarm serve to, to get it in. And you could see on his face just how distressed he was by the frustration that you describe and, and, and how, yeah, I mean, he should have been stopping right then. He went and carried on playing for another five games. It was silly, really, but that shows his appetite. I think he's embarrassed to be retiring from all these matches because he's the type of lad who wants to be the big guy who's just going to push on regardless and he's a he's got such a heart he's a fierce competitor he wants to be Andy Murray he wants to be like these guys and his body just isn't allowing it and he's putting the work in yeah. to do it isn't he and it, he's doing everything within his control and it's just not happening for him and he said the last time he felt fully fit and robust was before the US Open last year Um, And he said it's harder mentally to be injured than to lose every match. You know, he's really, it's really weighing on him. And it it felt cathartic for him to actually talk about it in that press conference. And I felt similarly with Dan Evans yesterday, who didn't lose due to to injury. He lost straight sets to 
Thanasi Kokonakis, and he was scathing about his own performance, Dan Evans. But he was just at a loss for why his game's not happening this year. He said, I'm doing all the same things that I was doing before. I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm practicing great. And my results have dropped off a cliff. I, just, I mean, how bloody frustrating. How on earth do you cope with that? Yeah. You know, all this control the controllables. Well, I'm controlling exactly the same bloody controllables that I was 12 months ago when I was beating these guys easily. And it's unfathomable. Ultimately, so much of the sport is that binary, did you win, did you not? And they talk about, I didn't lose, I learnt stuff. They try to convince themselves of that. And there is a truth to it. But you must have to be so either robust mentally or able to let go and confide in somebody to handle it. Because imagine having that blow time after time after time and then the injury blow the 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 feeling that you just can't get out there and do what you want to do i i do feel for that i know look i know they're vastly well paid at the top of the game and all these sort of things it's still a, a tough existence on on some some levels you have to have to come through quite a bit and for somebody like felix orgelia seem you know he's always had his fitness he's never one thing he hasn't really had to struggle with is injury woes and he looks so discombobulated by the fact that his body is letting him down recently. Now, I thought it, when I saw the scoreline that was happening there and I heard the trainer had been on court, I, I wasn't able to, to watch much of the match. I assumed it was the shoulder injury that's been troubling him in recent weeks. But in fact, it was the fact that he was sick. I think I think he had diarrhoea, folks. I believe that was mentioned on the court. He talked about having bad stomach cramps um, in the press conference, but I think that's because it was quite a small, intimate room and he didn't want to talk about having the runs to spare all our blushes, which I appreciate. Um, But he said he was sick all last night. He didn't sleep. He felt rubbish and he was panicking about it. He was thinking, how on earth can this be happening the night before a slam? Um, So I said, okay, but on the plus side, does that mean your shoulder's okay then? And he said, no, 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 my shoulder's average at best. He said, I'm taking painkillers to play every match. I'm managing it, you know, like Stefano Sitsabas has been doing with his shoulder. Um, and he said he was, he had also had this sickness in Lyon last week. And he was like, I've got to get tests done to figure out what's going on here. I don't understand, you know, my body letting me down like this. And he was so, I mean, obviously there's the fact of, being sick and having an injury which is distressing but then there's also this sort of loss of trust in yourself and who you are um which I think is doubly distressing and I I really felt for him in that press conference and similarly (laughs) just to complete the sadness circle uh Dominic Team, whose press conference we both went to Matt and because of the kind of day I'd had with these sad press conferences, I was expecting this to be a grief fest. I was buckling up. I thought, well, he might, might just announce his retirement in front of me. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I suppose relative to expectations, it was actually slightly less depressing than I expected. Yeah, I think so. I mean, team used the words, I'm on the right track. Go on, Dominic. Uh, I'm... Tell that to your forehand, Dominic, yeah. but okay. <laughs> I was, I was, you know, thinking, 
huh? <laughs> not what I thought, not what I just watched, uh, but he, he pointed to a change in the last six weeks uh, in terms of basically commitment and engagement with the sport. You know, that, I don't think there's ever been a suggestion that team wasn't working hard in this comeback. But deep down, did he truly believe that he could come back? It, it felt like maybe up until six weeks ago, no. And now finally he is, he is in that place and he is engaged in the sport fully and committed to it mentally. The game is nowhere near, though. I mean... What's lacking? The, a forehand? I mean, the forehand is the big one. I mean, I would also say his return. I mean, I think mainly the forehand, but I just I felt like on return, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to reliably get a return back into the court throughout this match. Don't you think that's because he doesn't trust his biggest weapon? Probably. And, and that's it. Like, we're not talking about an average forehand becoming quite bad. Dominic Team's forehand was one of the great shots in the sport for a few years there. The, the damage it could do to, you know, players like Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, he could knock them off the court with that shot. And now it's just a disaster. It's an it's a unforced error machine. And it's not, it's not one type of forehand he's missing. It's... it's even sometimes he's holding back, he will miss it. He goes for it, he misses it. He misses it in the net, he misses it long, he misses it wide. It's it's like a sort of hose pipe out of control. It's just going all over the place. That's really good, Matt. That's, uh, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> oh my that's not. exactly it. It's, I can't believe that it. Actually, that thought actually came to me while I was watching Benoit Pair earlier <laughs> in the day, but it applies to him and it, it also applies to Dominic Team. It's It's... It's chaotic. He does still have the potential to... I believe he still has it in him to hit it like he used to. The technique is the same. Every now and then he pulls off this malicious forehand and you're like, that's it, Dominic. But it's one in 15 times. Mm. It's, you know, Pedro Cachin... I, I don't think I saw him hit a winner and I don't think he needed to. His tactic was keep it in, hit to the forehand. And that won him the match. It was, it was that much of an error machine. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no hiding place for Dominic Team with his game. You know, it's it's what it is. Dominic Team's game. It's forceful. It's effortful. I think over the years he's added some variety, some subtlety to it. But it's not like he's got a plan B that he can just totally rely on. So he's he's exposed out there without that forehand. It's, it, it, there's nowhere for him to go. He just has to keep going after it and just keeps missing. It's it's really sad to see. I'm so desperate for him to get back to somewhere n- near where he was because, you know, I know he's he's won the US Open. He's, he's reached Roland Garros finals, but... I feel like his peak was at a time where he probably didn't quite end up with the achievements that mm. his his tennis merited. You know, you will look at Dominic Team's career in you know several years' time, and you'll think he didn't win a Masters one thousand on clay. 
he didn't win a Grand Slam on clay, and you and I would be there trying to convince you that he was one of the best clay court players I've ever seen. Yeah, we'll and, be in the Dominic team lobby. Right, and his, his achievements just won't sort of stack up with the eye test that we all mm. saw when he was at his best. And I feel like he he deserves that second mm. phase of his career. But Yeah, let's stop talking about him in the past tense because it's making me depressed. Well, we should take our lead from Dominic Team. Yeah. And, and you're he's... right. He he was more positive than I was expecting mm. and more positive than this time a year ago, which was, yes. you know, Pedro Kashim was the player he first played mm. when he was coming back and he said it's night and day. You know, he mm. he wasn't ready at all a year ago to play him. Then he felt better now. And at last his French Open, he was completely lost in terms of what was wrong. It feels like there's been some kind of improvement in his attitude, I suppose. But the game is still a long, long way from being what it was. Okay, question for you then. Whose forehand today (laughs) you have to play for some reason? You have to play a first round French Open match tomorrow. Me me against Matt? (laughs) Well, you against someone in the draw. Okay. Who's forehand? Not, not liking my chances of today, much. Sophie's choice. Would you prefer Dominic Teams or Benoit Pairs? Oh, Dominic Teams anytime. Oh, I don't think he's Benoit Pairs is terrible <laughs> all Look, the time. Technique-wise, absolutely. Benoit Pairs is I told Matt confidently earlier, thinking he would poo-poo me. I think just <laughs> take the ball out of the equation and just film me and Ben Maupere in a split screen performing our forehand strokes and ask a coach, which of these would you prefer to, to teach to your pupils? I think they go Whitaker every time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt, back me up. I mean, no one is teaching Ben Maupere's forehand. No. I mean, I, I'm going Dominic team because there's just a chance that the real one <laughs> might start to come back. Mm. Benoit Pair's real one is happening all the time. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, he I does don't hit think... the or- he there was the occasional rasping winner. Accidentally. <laughs> it's a sort of well, miracle yeah, but... when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... I think I think teams if if someone else could be in control of the mechanics of Dominic Team's forehand, that shot is still uh, fine. Look, of course. That's Whereas, not the question. Yeah, but yeah, but no one would be able to make Benoit Pair's forehand work it, when he's hitting it like with that technique. Fortunately, he's got a belt of backhand. Oh, yeah, oh, his backhand. <laughs> he must be backhand list, watch list. Oh, definitely. I mean, he, to, to be honest, logically, he just, given he just how, annoys me a bit too given much. Given how Benoit awful Pair. that so forehand is. It must be one of the best backhands in the world for him to be for a... Sure. He's not on the backhand list because he annoys you. <laughs> he is quite annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should like his backhand the most because I think it probably is one of the best, but it's just the fact that it's coming from him. So if John Millman had his backhand, he'd yeah, be on? Probably. Okay. Probably be one of the best players in the world. It's a sublime backhand. Um, look, look he, he lost today. I can't five sets. The backhand list logic. Five sets to Cam Norrie, who really had to just hunker down and put the blinkers on, didn't he? Um, he was having to serve through Mexican waves because the crowd just wouldn't die down. There was a rendition of La Marseillaise just as Matt and I arrived in the press box. Matt was too timid to join or too professional to join in, uh, but we experienced it in person. 
Um, but Benoit Paire didn't win a game after Le Marseille's was sung <laughs> uh, in his honour. And Isn't Norrie that supposed now to gets, help? Norrie now gets a chance to play Luca Puy, so perhaps more oh, Marseille's for him to withstand. He, he, he's, he's a drama magnet at the moment, Cameron Norrie. In a very unsuspecting way, of course, his, his match in Rome with Djokovic... Here today against Benoit Paire, now he runs into sort of the story of the tournament so far. Luca Puy, you know the atmosphere is going to be incredible for that. It, it doesn't feel like it really suits his mm. personality. He wants to, wants to just go under the radar a bit, Cameron Norrie, but he's, he's not being allowed to do that with the, with the draw that he's got. There was, a, there was a hindrance call in this match, very controversial one, where Norrie was called for a hindrance by the umpire. He was furious about it in the press conference he he felt like it was totally unfair um it was it was a grunt that he did and the umpire obviously either thought it was a grunt that was going too far or that no had actually said something sort of midpoint that um, that was nonsense by the way i was commentating on that he it was barely audible right and I, it was really confusing why he gave that. Mm-hmm. That look, I think he's a good umpire, but that was a howler. Mm. And and it sort of harked back to something Dan Evans had said yesterday in terms mm. of umpires sort of wanting to get involved a little bit. That was sort of Dan Evans. Clay's sort of the only surface where they can <laughs> big up their part a bit was was his point anyway. Um, just other f- a few other headlines for you from today. Tulsi Belinda Bencic is out. She clearly wasn't fit. She had heavy strapping on her shoulder. So no great surprise that she's lost. She's had a, a miserable clay court season with injury. Caroline Garcia fought through over Wang Ji Yu. 7-6-4-6-6-4. Cracking match. That one over on Philippe Chatrier. <laughs> Should have been the night session match. We've just watched Yannick Sinner. Uh, Crunch, crunch, Alexandra Muller in the um, in the night session match, um, and news on tomorrow's night session. Well, I'll bring you the full schedule for tomorrow. We'll certainly highlights thereof. Starting on Chatteri with Ons Jabeur, she faces Lucia Bronzetti. Uh, then Tricky it's, that, yeah. Well, she just won a title, Bronzetti. Mm, she's, of she's, course, she's good clay quarter. I mean that. Sometimes a player who's just won a title finds it hard to back that up. See Arthur Feast today, uh, but in form, she's a ball machine. Bronzetti, yeah. Mm. yeah. Jabeur's going to have to be on it. Daniel Medvedev kicks off his campaign next on Chatteri against Thiago Seiboth Wild of Brazil. Then Tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Iga Swiatek against Christina Buxha. Yeah. Of Reggie predictions fame, Reggie. the Reggie Sons is going very well. By the way, he's over uh, two. Yeah, and he's predicted <laughs> something Bookshire. interesting. Has he actually tomorrow. gone for Bookshire? Of course. I mean, he has to. <laughs> <laughs> she was winning for a bit, um, and then the night session tomorrow on Chatteri is Gamalfis against Sebastian Byers. Um, look, tune out. No, I don't know. Can I be bothered with this? I'm so exhausted and exasperated by how these schedules are making me relentlessly feel. I will have a rant about it if you want. Would anybody else like to? David, you took the reins valiantly last night. Matt, I mean, 
tell me I've got PMT and I'm overreacting if you want, but I'm just so drained about it all. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're in exactly the same place we were in last year, except now it sort of feels even worse because we heard some suggestion that they might try and improve it this year. You know, okay, we're still only day two. There is there is potential, but it has the exact same feel as last year. And the match of the day tomorrow, for any, well, tennis fan, I would say, surely is Bianca Andreescu versus Victoria Azarenka. I mean, that that is the match I'm most Yeah, if you're not hyped for that, then to. you're not a tennis fan. Two, and two it, Grand Slam champions. Right. Both of them charismatic, mm. likely to be a close, exciting mm. match. Um, I mean, look, Gal Monfils, if he puts on a show, it's always great fun and there's great affection for He's him. He's barely finished a match recently. But He's not fit. It, I mean, it, it's just that it also comes off the back of today where it could have been Caroline, Caroline Garcia um, and, and it wasn't. So, you know, 0 for 2. Yeah, and... You know, I didn't get to watch as much of Caroline Garcia today as I would have liked because it was at a time where so much else was going on. Had it been the night session match, there would have been mm. far greater, sort of, it would have been easier to follow that one single match and it deserved it. And Garcia, I thought, gave a very interesting comment at the end about how in the past she used to close herself off to the Chatrier crowd and she would... She would see the way they would support Joe Wilfred Songa and Gaumont Fees and players like that. And now, she, finally, she feels like today she figured out how to use that crowd. And it was really tight and tense there against Wong for a long time. It, you know, she, she could have gone out today. So it's, it's, it's a big win, I think, that for, mm. for Garcia. Azarenka Andrescu, by the way, is last on Court Simon Mathieu. And uh, that is where I'll be at whatever time that match comes on court tomorrow. That's pretty much it, folks, except to tell you that Phoebe is our Roland Garros mascot. Lovely Phoebe. Uh, I'll be posting a picture of her on our Instagram tomorrow. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. She's been at at a country pub today is Billie Jean. Uh, We've got our mascots, Maisie, Xenia and Darwin. I think it was a wipeout. Yeah, it didn't go so well. For us today. Jerry Bloody Shang, two sets to love up. Yep, and I did pick Pedro Cushin and then changed my mind. (laughs) That wasn't a very good idea. That was by Benavi Zapata Mirayas. Medvedev said he was a great player. (laughs) What does he know? (laughs) Um, we have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Phil Harris, who is in Philadelphia. Like Lloyd Harris that plays Alexander Zverev tomorrow on Simone Mathieu. Yeah. And Phil Dent. Crikey. Taylor Dent's dad, former player, Australian player. Good on you, Phil. Thanks for supporting us. Thank you, Phil. We've got Gillian Dobson in North Yorkshire. Right, Gillian. Hello, Gillian. Jill Krabus. 
different spelling entirely. Well, um, I, I await your submission. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have one. <laughs> I haven't got one either. Are there any tennis players from Yorkshire? Yorkshire's a great sporting county, isn't it, in the UK? There was that stat that did the rounds after the, after the London Olympics. That's very good. Carl Edmund. That's right. Yorkshire, is he? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or yes. Is he a tennis player still? Y- yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> he knocked a ball through his school window when he played cricket in Yorkshire when he was a lad. Bonus Kyle Edmund story for you, Gillian. <laughs> there you go, Gillian. Thanks for supporting the tennis Thank podcast. You, Where did that come from? I'll tell you. I did my research when he reached the semi-finals of the Australian <laughs> Open, and it's still all up there, just in case he ever gets back. Okay. Brilliant. Um, and finally, we have Garth Simmons, who is from Ohio. Right, Ooh, Garth. I've been to Ohio. Cincinnati or it's not Cincinnati is it it's Mason Ohio where the tennis is yes Garth has been a tennis fan since 1979 and is a professional musician wow. in the Toledo which is in Ohio symphony oh <gasps> what what instrument that's a you've, question for Garth you've got to say the instrument <laughs> come on Garth, Garth get, get in touch <laughs> tell what, us your instrument what instrument should we see if we can guess tuba <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna guess violin because String, there's the, the most of those. Yeah. I like the tuba. The, I was listening I out for the tuba. Think in an there's orchestra. only one tubaist. Yeah. Exactly. Tuban. That's the one I like. <laughs> in an orchestra, I'm just playing the numbers game. Uh, Garth, let us know and thank you for supporting the podcast, being a friend, getting yourself a shout out if you would like to do those things and get access to our whole back catalogue of Tennis Relived and bonus podcasts. Bocco is what we're supposed to call it. Did you know that? Bonus content. Is it? Bocco. Don't see me doing that. I learnt that from a succession podcast I was listening to in the shower this morning. Right. Bocco. If you would like to gain access to all of our Bocco, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. The link to do that is in our show notes. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you soon. 